Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, all-around nice guy. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, instructor for Rocky Mountain University in Georgia Southern Faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, flex diet cert creator, a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Sweet. Actually, at home. Hey, there at you home. go. I well, I th- <laughs> that's probably good these days, my man. You know. Yes. <laughs> that might be your that might be your normal for a little while. Oh yeah, the schedule through mid June has been cleared, and I think June will disappear too. So yeah. Yep. <clears throat> You're like Indiana Jones. You're the traveling professor, but you've been grounded. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's different, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yep. In fact, that's unavoidable. Everybody, we're gonna do after some news in the first half. We're gonna do an achievements in training. Those of you who listen for a long time, every once in a while, we just sort of check in with each other, and it can include eating or lifestyle or whatever, even learning. But we're gonna do an achievements in training coronavirus edition uh, because obviously things are different, like we were just saying. So. Yeah. Uh, I know people are sick of hearing about it, too, uh, but there's probably going to be one tidbit of news about it every other week, at least, you know, while we try to talk about other stuff and keep it relevant to sports nutrition and lifting. Anyway. Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, this first one I I picked for you, Phil, and I thought this was pretty cool. This is from Lysenko and colleagues uh, from the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research. Just came out. Moderate intensity strength exercise to exhaustion results in more pronounced signaling changes in skeletal muscles of strength chained compared with untrained individuals. I think, you know, in a word, in a lay term, this is some evidence for like the muscle memory effect, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. It looks like not to, you know, jump to the conclusion at the very beginning here, but it looks like if you're well trained, um, you can turn on changes in your muscles pretty readily. Um, which is kind of interesting because I know once you get very advanced, things might actually seem blunted on some level because you're not making monstrous gains. But again, you know, if once you have it, I think you can kind of recall that, you know, back to action. Um, Anyway, so here's what it says. The aim of our investigation was to compare the response pattern of signaling proteins and genes regulating protein synthesis and degradation in skeletal muscle after strength exercise sessions were performed to volitional fatigue. And this is partly what caught my eye. They compared eight healthy recreationally active males with eight powerlifters. So specifically using the powerlifting population as their experienced group. Well, what happened? Just cutting to the chase here. uh, Moderate intensity strength exercise performed to volitional fatigue. And I think that's kind of key volitional right i'm thinking maybe the power lifters they have more tolerance for discomfort right than mm-hmm. the average joe and so they can push it harder that so i think that's a key word here is volitional fatigue um there's some good data that in fact that's one of the one of the things that weight training can provide anyway um moderate intensity strength exercise perform, performed to volitional fatigue changed the status of mTORC1 downstream signaling and markers of the ubiquitin system, so sort of the breakdown side. Uh, in contrast to the trained group of powerlifters, 
the signaling response in the untrained group uh, was considerably less pronounced. So I thought that was sort of interesting, very specific mm-hmm. to powerlifting crowd and being able to turn on sort of, you know, cellular act- activity um, better than people who are just recreationally active. Um, Mike, have you heard anything about that kind of stuff before? Or what are your thoughts? Um, a little bit. I mean, it kind of seems to match some of the literature that we've seen where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed to match what you were saying there, Lonnie, that more experienced lifters are probably not seeing as big a bump as more recreational or even untrained lifters in that response. Yeah, yeah. And yet at the same time, it makes me think that when you do about about to, you know, fa- volitional fatigue, of course, everybody is just calling it quits. Like, whoa, that's enough. I don't want another yeah. rep. You know, um, I don't know. What do you think, Phil? Does this make sense to you? I mean, you got the advanced guys. To me, it harkens back to the muscle memory lay concept, you know, that you can you can wake up. Yeah, I mean, the muscles. It's definitely one of the things we start working on is just getting somebody the ability to to train hard. You know, it is it is an earned and a learned activity. So Mm -hmm. and a lot of that could just be mentally. You mentally learn how to. Uh, like we've talked about it before, the difference between pain and strain. And early on, you don't know the difference. Like everything seems like it hurts. And then as you get further along, you start to realize the difference in between them. And you know what you can push through to get yeah. progress. Yeah. So. so either there's something about the the muscle memory idea that they've they've been maybe bigger and stronger before and they could just recall that very quickly or maybe yeah it's just on the on the volitional side just to clarify mm-hmm. they did four sets of one-sided leg presses to exhaustion with 65 percent of their one rep max okay. so um, yeah and obviously like phil said if you're taking experienced lifters and you're going anyone who's done testing in the lab if you take experienced athletes and tell them to go to volitional fatigue whether that's you know, runtime to exhaustion or lifting or what have you compared to a group that's even recreationally trained, you notice a huge difference. Yes. And yeah. just, you know, if you could account for number of reps, although there's a lot of inter individual variability and differences between people, um, but you can just see that experienced people are able to push a lot harder because mm-hmm. they have that experience than people who are kind of recreationally trained. Right, and and we don't have a lot of the details. I mean, this is a Russian paper, it looks like. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, 65% of one rep max, what if that's a much, much larger total load for the power lifters? Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah. let's not forget that. I mean, you would have to think about gross load, too. We've talked 100 times about how percentages mm-hmm. break down with elite guys. So mm-hmm. I don't know how elite yeah, their I- power lifters were. When I was in Costa Rica, Dr. Eric Helms was down there, so I got to hang out with him, and he presents some data from Exordos's lab where I believe it was 70% of one rep max. They had a group of you know, pretty wide variety. They had a, I think, more advanced group and then a, a group that wasn't as advanced. And they put trash bags over the, the weight so they didn't know exactly how much it was. Neat. And they said, okay, just go until you know volitional fatigue. And the rep range was something like six reps on the low end to like 29 reps between people. Um, so even you know percentage of the same you know load, even technically standardized to each person, right? 70% of their one rep max. You've got a massive variation when you get down in those lower numbers of how many reps somebody can do versus somebody else. Yeah, population specificity for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean think, differences between people and stuff too. Yes, right. Well, true, true. I mean, I mean, if you think about, I usually tell students based on a lot of norms, seventy percent of a one rep max in a recreationally active or maybe even a college athlete, it ballparks about twelve reps, you know. And yet, yeah. and yet, imagine someone with a thousand pound squat. I don't think they're going to do seven hundred for a twelve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah I'm sure, Phil, you've probably seen that. Like you have some people that, you know, 85% of their one rep max, they're doing a whole bunch of reps. And yep. someone else who's probably more experienced, probably lifting heavier loads, they're, mm-hmm. you know, not doing nearly as many reps. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then the female population, on the other hand, tends to be able to do more in general anyways at a higher percentage. So yes. even sex yeah. to sex, we've got a big change. Oh, good point there. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's one of the things I always thought Rob was so good at. Rob would routinely do 25 and 30 reps with 315, you know, or do 
multiple, multiple sets of, of 10 reps with 405. I'm like, Jesus, man. You know? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, this next one might be relevant. Uh, you guys, I'm sure, have heard about people sucking on zinc. I just saw another little thing about how if you suck on zinc, it might reduce um, viral contagion, including, you know, nobody wants to get COVID-19 and that kind of stuff. But this is sort of a sidebar relevant to us. So again, if, insofar as people might be sucking on zinc lozenges, I, some of that early work came out of the Cleveland Clinic. Over the years, I think it's really gone back and forth. Mike, maybe you know more about this than I do. But the zinc thing as far as helping prevent the actual contagion or even reducing symptoms, mm, I, I, you know, it's not something that makes me run out and buy zinc as soon as cold season is around. So it's kind of equivocal. But insofar as that might, help this one is about how it might affect your body comp and i i thought this was kind of cool this is shima abdullahi and colleagues uh let's see advances in nutrition brand new zinc supplementation and body weight a systematic review and dose response meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials so the aim of the paper was to determine the effect of zinc supplementation on anthropometry so they're just taking, you know, busting out the calipers and the tape measures and whatnot. Um, the quality of evidence from all the trials they looked at was evaluated using the GRADE methodology. So they were sensitive to the quality of evidence. 27 trials. Over 1,400 participants were included in the meta-analysis. Uh, long story short, there were no significant changes in anthropometric measurements after zinc supplementation in the overall analysis. However... They looked at some subgroups, and one of the groups they looked at I, I thought was interesting, I guess more for our purposes. They looked at hemodialysis patients and how the zinc seemed to actually help them gain weight because, of course, they could lose mass and whatnot. Um, but the zinc supplementation decreased body weight in subjects who were overweight or obese but otherwise healthy. So I, I don't know. I've just never seen anything about zinc in leanness before uh, specifically, hmm. but – uh, it was like minus one half of a kilogram, so a little over half a kilo uh, less less fat, presumably, in the people who supplemented zinc. They did some dose-response stuff, didn't see a whole lot, as I understand it. Uh, conclusion, our data suggests that zinc supplementation increases body weight in patients with hemodialysis, uh, undergoing hemodialysis, and decreases body weight in individuals who are overweight or obese but otherwise healthy. But then they go on, you know, researchers with their caveats. Um, although after normalizing for study duration, the association observed even in the overweight and obese disappeared. So they say they need more hmm. more research, but that's how studies always end. Um, yeah, I don't know. So my, my, there might be some mild um, effect on body composition if you're sucking on zinc. I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt. That's one of those minerals that people tend to underconsume anyway. Um, not just vegetarians, but people in general, um, maybe especially vegetarians, but anyway. So. Yeah. Obviously if you take in massive amounts of zinc, you can start depleting out copper too. So you just want to be a heads up on that. Good call. Yeah. I tell students all the time, minerals compete yeah. with each other, right? For <laughs> absorption and transport. So yeah. Uh, oh, I look, I, I'm excited about my, my zinc status or magnesium. A lot of these divalent, these plus two minerals, of course, competing with each other, um, yeah, so you can't get too excited on, on anyone. Um, yeah, I did find uh, there's a called the Withdrawn Study, uh, Zinc for the Common Cold. This was a Cochrane Database Systematic Review from 2015. And the short version is they found that <clears throat> may, uh, zinc administration within 24 hours of onset of symptoms reduced the duration of the cold in healthy people. Uh, but some caution is needed due to the heterogeneity of the data. It's the data is like all over across the board. Yeah. Um, and they kind of looked at it, uh, lozenges in different forms. Uh, but they don't know if that is going to be best as a prophylactic or preventative type measure. Right. Um, and even if you pull some of those studies, I think a lot of it depends upon, like you've talked about, Lonnie, are you deficient in zinc or not? If you're deficient in zinc, you probably are going to see more of a benefit if you're not deficient in zinc. Eh, I'm not, not quite so sure at that point. Mm -hmm. It's back and forth enough that I look at zinc the way I look at vitamin C. It's probably slightly helpful, you know, kind of like yeah. generally hard on viruses kind of thing. 
Phil, do you ever do stuff like airborne or emergency or zinc stuff ever? Yeah, we'll take some emergency or something if I'm going to travel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get on a plane, things like that. But uh, I haven't done anything right now. Staying in. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. But... Okay, let's bring this back around then. The next news bit here. Men are more susceptible to COVID-19 than women. So this is a little bit concerning here. Mm. Um, this is sort of paraphrased from a question I got this week. So I, I found this from Carmen Leach. She's actually what a really become one of my favorite uh, science journalists because she's well-trained and um, she's not full of it. <laughs> Basically, I got this through Labroots. It says, as more data are gathered, we're learning more about the impact of, of the infection. Researchers have noticed that men are worse off than women when they get sick. Uh, again, from this virus. Reports from around the world were included, and I think this is important. One of the things my son pointed out, he's like, well, is that just the Chinese data? Because I kind of question that, you know, and I get it. I mean, whether it's for gene pool reasons or transparency in reporting or whatever. So this is pretty consistent around the globe. Reports from authorities in Italy uh, show that 58% of the patients were men who were 75% more likely to die than women who had been hospitalized from the infection. So among those who got hospitalized, 75% more likely to die than men. Men accounted for 72% of the deaths during that one-month period where they collected the data. And this was um, like mid-February to mid-March of this year. What about elsewhere? Patient profiles from China uh, have not been quite as stratified, but the trends are similar. Roughly 60% of the COVID-19 patients were men, and the fatality rate was about 65% higher for men than women. Uh, Clinicians also noted that 171 adolescents treated uh, for the viral infection, 61% were male. So again, it looks like men are having a harder time, and I've been joking with some of my colleagues about this because... You know, a lot of the ones that are women, they love to laugh about man flu and how men can't take it. I'm like, men men don't have the same kind of immune system as women, just just saying, you know, because they always like to act mm-hmm. like they're they're so tough. And maybe they are on a lot of things. I mean, I get it. Women have a, a higher pain threshold. The funny thing is they're more sensitive at the lower end, and they have more tolerance at the upper end. Mm-hmm. But they've got estrogen on their side. We know this from, a, you know, muscle damage studies and other things. I'll get to that. Uh, Similar gender disparities they saw in South Korea. It says that once the infection takes hold, it is 89% more likely to be fatal in men from the South Korean data. So Hmm. you guys out there, I don't know, maybe you do suck on some vitamin C and zinc, or maybe you just wash your hands constantly (laughs) for 20 seconds. I think people need to realize, too, and I think a lot of our listeners would. It's not like the antibacterial thing. That's not going to have any effect on a virus, but it's literally the physical part of this, the, the physical removal yeah. of the, the soap, you know, the phospholipids and the soap, like breaking up and sudsing off uh, and destroying the virus. So it actually comes off uh, of your hands. It's not sticking on your hands. But again, 20 seconds with warm water and soap. Um, anyway, now they do try to point out that they they're – take into account that men are more likely to be smokers and that kind of thing, but they've got some um, infectious disease specialists in this article saying that, listen, that's not the whole story. In fact, to control for that in part, they did a mouse model, and they said in mice of any age, males were more susceptible to coronavirus infection than females. However, when the ovaries were removed from the female mice or they were exposed to drugs eliminating estrogen activity, their infection Mm. rates spiked. So it looks like there's something protective about estrogen. So um, hmm. I don't want to say that our listeners who you know use <clears throat> anabolics and have high estrogen might be better off. <laughs> like, mm. don't take Novadex right now. <laughs> it's, it's, so I go I, watch the Notebook on repeat as I'm doing my Corona distancing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Something something helpful about estrogen. It looks like I just think that's um, interesting stuff. Uh, anyway. And I don't want to dwell on that. But, yeah, that's a little concerning. In fact, I also read something this week about people that are on ACE inhibitors for high blood pressure may be more susceptible uh, because it, it changes yeah. receptor profiles in the lungs and the virus can attach more and and stuff like that. So I know a couple of people that are hypertensive and they're taking ACE inhibitors. And I'm like, mm, just be even more careful. I mean, I'm not saying stop taking your ACE inhibitor meds, but um, 
yeah, they're starting to tease this data apart, drill down a little bit. So I just thought I would share. Yeah. I have one other thing to share, not trying to be uber political either way, but uh, the New York Times the other day actually published a very interesting uh, model about how you can play with some of the variables and actually model the coronavirus in terms of exposure. And I thought it was actually pretty cool that they published the, the model at the New York Times. So if you find it, you just type in New York Times COVID-19 model, and then the headline obviously involves Trump. But what was super interesting is that one, they actually published the model, and two, they put it in a pretty neat graphic format where you can play around with uh, how aggressive do you get with uh, quarantine? What is kind of the the R not, which is if one person gets it, how many people are we expected to them infect on average? And it's it's kind of freaky. I mean, who knows if the model is one hundred percent correct? I mean, I don't know anything about building those types of models, and I'm definitely not the person to ask. Um, but what do you find is that without testing, don't really know exactly how many people could be infected and you don't have to put in that many crazy numbers at all to see that it potentially could have a pretty massive impact. Um, on the good side, uh, length of quarantine does seem to make a huge uh, difference in their model um, by quite a bit. So that is something that uh, people can control. Uh, obviously hand washing, as you mentioned, is a, is a big thing too, but uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to at least go there and and play around with it because it's based on at least the up-to-date model, the best model we have so far. And if nothing else, I think people will realize that there are a few things that they can do. And it does, unfortunately, have the potential to be pretty serious. Not that, any, I don't know. I've just gotten way too many crazy videos from people lately, so maybe I'm just being biased a little too far the other way (laughs) now mike when you say serious you mean in severity of hospitalization or just total number of cases um all of it all of it yeah Yeah. okay yeah yeah i mean you can and again it's it's super sensitive to how many people may you potentially infect which again we don't have super good numbers on that yet yeah um but if you just put in kind of semi-conservative stuff like you say like what do i have here so if I say length of intervention of quarantine is 14 days, right? So not super aggressive. Intervention level of that, we said, is just moderate. Uh, impact of warm weather, eh, medium. That doesn't seem to make as much of a big difference. Uh, intervention date, I just left at March 13th. Not too much we can do about that going past in time. Um, and if you say the infectiousness, so if you say that's just an R naught of three, right? So you one person gets it that potentially could infect three people, right? And some of the estimates say it's maybe somewhere between two to five. And then if you require hospitalization, if you say only 10%, say a death rate of 1%, which is, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, you end up with, what do we have here? Uh, people infected, well over 60 million. People hospitalized, getting close to 20 million. And not sure how many deaths there are, but yeah. And if you change even just the infectiousness, let's say it's worse than what we think to like four from three, it gets really bad. Yeah, that right? would have So now huge, you're at yeah. hospitalizations, you know, probably around 25 million people infected, well over 120 million. So, yeah, it's kind of freaky. Yeah. You know, some of our listeners might laugh, but um, I have barely left my house in three weeks. I mean, it's – Yeah. That's weird. Me too, since I've been home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my wife and I went for like, a, you know, like a little kind of hike and stuff um, once or twice just down through the local park and everything. But, I mean – I'm I'm sort of shackled to my keyboard anyway because all my classes are online. Plus, what are, what are we doing right now? Online. So yeah. But you know, glasses half full. I can still make my salary. I'm thinking about the millions of people who have like tip wage earner jobs and whatever they're called. And oh yeah. Wow, they're screwed. You know the unemployment and everything. And anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um. I have one more, and then we'll go to break, and we're going to talk to everybody about how we're dealing with a lot of this stuff and trying to look for bright spots, like what are some achievements. Maybe it's good to take some time off if you've been overtraining or something like that. But uh, this last one, I thought maybe this was too subjective. So here I'm already kind of 
tainting the frame <laughs> mental framework of this for you, but USA to allow a quote unquote healthy claim on certain products. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has published a notice in the Federal Register that will allow establishments to use the implied nutrient content claim healthy on labels. Mm. Now, before I get into this too much, here's what I don't like. A lot of the current label claims, it might be something like help reduce the risk of of heart disease, you know, like soluble fiber and oatmeal. or Usually it's more specific to a nutrient like low fat. Right, it has to be less than three grams of fat. You know, things like that, or high fiber. It has to have at least five grams of fiber per serving. But healthy is such a loaded, subjective term. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, let's see what you got here. So it was the Food Safety and Inspection Service arm of the USDA. Uh, here's how their guidelines roll out: the product has a fat profile makeup of predominantly mono or polyunsaturated fats. Well, I already have an issue with that, too, because of the polyunsaturates, do you mean omega-6 or omega-3? Because that's a huge deal. We overconsume corn oil and all those omega-6 fats. We undereat omega-3s, which is why so many of us supplement. So, yeah, uh, the fat content uh, in very broad brush categories. And then it contains at least 10% of the daily value of potassium or vitamin D. So people who aren't familiar, that's sort of the shift in food labels have gone from vitamins A and C on the micronutrients list to including uh, potassium and vitamin D. So they want at least 10% of the daily value. So Mm. um, basically they're saying, I think, avoid sat fat and get enough potassium and vitamin D. Um, Yeah, okay. I mean, there's lots of ways to define healthy. The FSIS is making this announcement to maintain consistent... Uh, requirements for different categories like meat, poultry, and currently allowed food products. Um, if a company wishes to use the healthy claim, it will first need to submit at least one label sketch to the, the FSIS's labeling and program delivery staff for approval. Mm. I don't know. This is sort of, to me, like the GMO-free <clears throat> thing, which bothers me a bit. You know, like so many people are uh, aggressively adopting this and um, people are pretty split in whether or not they think that's a big deal. But when you start labeling something healthy and you define that as, oh, it can have – a food like this, for example, you could talk – you could eat something like um, French fries, which has a lot of omega-6 PUFA, uh, and potassium because of the potatoes. Is that a healthy food? You know what I mean? I mean obviously the vitamin D wouldn't be in there uh, necessarily, but uh, – I don't know. I don't that know how to That just sounds like this. a disaster. I mean, that just sounds like the same label of of natural. It's like it doesn't. To unfortunately, to the average consumer, they're like, "Oh, that's good." It's like, well, it doesn't unfortunately mean anything now. It doesn't no. have a formal definition, and your definition is so wide you could drive a bus through it. I don't know how yeah. beneficial because I'm sure uh, companies are going to exploit that and try to put it on every label they can on demand, like the example you gave, Wani. Yeah. Yeah, add a little vitamin D to French fries, and does that fit? Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And like you said, people, are they don't think about it. They don't think about the idea that poison ivy is natural, and you wouldn't eat a poison yeah. ivy salad. Yeah. So, yeah. It's to be good. It's natural. Right. Yeah, and now we have healthy. You're right. Now we can, That's a great point. Natural and healthy. Yeah. You must buy. Right. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to break. That's enough rambling about news. We'll come back with some achievements in training, coronavirus edition, and we'll check in with how Mike and Phil are living themselves, a fitness lifestyle kind of thing, but also maybe some coaching things and what's happening there. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now!
Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's just uh, Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we're talking, uh, uh, trying to take a positive spin as much as possible on uh, achievements in training as far as what's going on in the current, you know, infectious disease crisis. Um, Phil, let me just start with, I guess, the, the most fundamental. How has your training changed in the last two weeks, let's say, or, you know, are there achievements to be found in there or not so much? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think there is. I mean, I've been dealing with a, a knee issue for since before this started, so I just took it as a chance to to do something totally different. And <clears throat> right before we had Dan on, I started doing that 10,000 swings workout that he put up years ago. So, you know, I'm taking the time to do something totally different, something simple, you know, and a bunch of people ended up jumping on board with me now across the world because it's something simple you can do with just all you need is a kettlebell. So... Yeah, you can do it in your living room. <laughs> you know, so basically, just doing 500 kettlebell swings numerous times a week, plus like push-ups and sit-ups and things like that. So yeah, are you doing uh, that is all at once, or are you spreading it out throughout the day? Um, no, it takes. I just do it all at once. Yeah. Okay. So the way he has it set up, you do five sets. Well, there's you do ten swings, fifteen swings, twenty-five swings, fifty swings, and you do that five times. And in between those swings, like you'll do ten swings, some push-ups, fifteen swings, some push-ups, twenty-five swings, some push-ups, hmm. that type of thing. And then that's a hundred after you do the the fifty set, and then you reset it and do it four more times. So, okay. Um, only thing I've added on is just some light leg extensions because of my knee issue, um, like super light. I'm using twenty-five pounds for both legs, and I'm doing sixty reps a time, so I end up with like three hundred reps of leg extensions when it's done. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, mm -hmm. No, I just change it up. Each day I do something a little different. So aside from the swings, swings always stay the same. But the hardest part about that is just starting. It really sucked at first because oh, the last yeah. the last time Big I did volume, 500, yeah, the last time I did 500 anything was a long time ago. So, <laughs> uh, so I was pretty wrecked in soreness the first week, and now it's just eh, not bad. My, my lower back's just kind of tired, but I'm not really sore anymore. I mean, the first few days it was the the DOMS was pretty uh intensive but well so. let me ask so how many times a week do you do this 
I'm doing it four. It's supposed to be a four-week program, so you're supposed to do it five times a week. I'm, I'm dragging it out to five weeks, and I'm doing it four times a week. So I'm doing 2,000 swings a week. Yeah. More recovery. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So. Okay. And like I said, I added on a little more with the leg extensions and stuff, but I usually do some kind of press, some kind of row, and my leg extensions along with my swings. Well, out of practicality, do you, uh, if you're still sore from the last time, do you do it anyway because only a day has passed? Uh, yep. You just jump in and do it again. Oh. So I did it last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I did it last night, and I got to do it today. So the first few days, it was like, yeah, I was like, oh, the hardest part was starting because I was like, man, I can barely walk. And then once I got going, it was okay. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first week, my hamstrings, like if I touched them, they hurt. Ooh. So, <laughs> yeah, they were sort of the touch. Yeah, to the touch. But, uh, <laughs> they're, they're okay now. So, you know, yeah. the the physiologist in me, uh, it's hard for me to make myself train anything uh, a specific muscle group that's already sore. And I know this isn't um, isolated muscle group, but when something's sore, I'm like, well, it's in the middle of remodeling. I I should leave that alone for an extra day or two. You know, and it, yeah. but that kind of yeah. thinking is going to screw. If your goal is volume, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the best approach. Uh, Mike, how do you deal with that? Like, if you're sore and wrecked, do you give yourself an extra day, or do you say, nope, I'm training that group again? I don't know. I've gone back and forth on that. I guess it just depends on how sore it is. Like, if I do something new and it's really sore, I'll actually try to do something different, like almost like a polarized approach, uh, assuming I don't have to test that thing again. So, for example, like when I started doing safety squats again, I haven't done them for a while, my hamstrings and adductors were just like, woo. Yeah. My initial plan was, I'm going to do some squat every day. And then after the first day, I was like, mm-hmm. mm, okay, I think I'm going to do a longer rowing session today and then see how they feel the next day. <laughs> right. And then kind of slowly ramp that up. Because I found like just doing more walking or just light rowing, they tend, tend to feel a little bit better. And then I'll slowly kind of ramp up the volume over time that way. So if I'm really sore. I tend to do some movement for that area, but not the same movement that made him really sore. Yes, right. No, I, I get that. Like, even sometimes if I squat, uh, I just been lifted in my basement. And and you know what? This is an achievement. I've been doing it three or four times a week. I haven't lost any frequency. Nice. But it's not, these are not yeah. workouts for the record books. <laughs> right? They're really not. Getting but them done, though. It's true. Yeah. And if, like, if my legs get sore, like you said, a lot of adductors or my ass or hamstrings or whatever are sore from some uh, deep squats. I find that I can still do stuff like deadlifts uh, because they yes. get me sore in a different way. You know, even though it's going to also make my legs sore, it's just a different angle, some different, you know, stabilizers and assisters and all that. And and I can kind of get away with it. You know, this is funny, but my um, love of bodybuilding has really served me well as I've gotten older because the recovery thing and we're talking about, like, because you do a body part split, um, I know that's not the same thing as high-frequency training, but if my legs are sore, like this past week, I was not using hardly any weight at all, but I was clearly detrained because my legs got real sore after doing four light sets of squats. I'm like, my God. Um, and yet, if I rotate through, you know, then I can – I start every session with the elliptical here. I have a, an elliptical at home, and I, I do some cardio stuff for 20 minutes, and then I just go rotate through, you know, these body part splits – and that works great, you know, because since I'm older and I stay sore longer, um, I don't have to worry about it too much, like the whole soreness issue. But anyway, that's why I was curious how you guys do that. I'm playing around with more contrast therapy coming up, too, and seeing if that makes a difference for soreness, too. So I'll keep you posted. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. Okay. Um, Phil, what about your, your coaching? Um, is it gone? Uh, what's... What are you doing on the coaching side? No, it's side? not gone. Basically, what I've done is just give everybody the option to train at home. And so they all send me a list of what they have, and uh, we adjust it to that. So uh, there's been a lot of at-home adjusting. There's been a lot of my equipment being lended out, lent mm. out so well, they can take it home, things like that. So, yeah, I just let them just grab a kettlebell a bar and some bumpers, take it home type of thing. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's the main thing is just, you know, lending things out and, and uh, changing their training to what they have. So that's and a lot of my distance clients, uh, they train at home anyways. So. Okay, right. It's like you're the library of muscle mass. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yep, yep. Check them out. And check it out. Yep. So okay. we'll see. We just got shut down Thursday. So uh, we're all two days into this. So um, we'll see how it goes. But uh, so far, so far, so well. So, I mean, a lot of people out of work. I'm expecting, like anybody, there's just going to be a lot of people coming up that, hey, I got to skip this month. I don't have money. Yeah. Yeah. That thing that's going to happen to us all. So, yep. and figure out how you're going to handle that. So, yep. Um, well, you do, you do almost entirely distance, right, Mike? I mean, how has this affected you, or are yeah. you just unaffected? Uh, don't really 100% know yet, to be honest. I mean, kind of like Phil, most of my clients were pretty good up until about two weeks ago, and then pretty much all across the board, every everything was getting shut down. And mm-hmm. some of them were sneaking into the gym and then the gym was only open at night for, you know, private one-on-one clients. And then now pretty much all of that's pretty much shut down. So, so far, I mean, I had a couple of clients who, you know, had to kind of pause and that type of thing, which is understandable. But so far, I've been pretty lucky. I've only just had a couple, which has been... Really good. Um, it does make me a little nervous as stuff goes on a little bit further. Um, but the good part is most of the people I work with are, you know, probably 70% of them are trainers, which is a pro and a con because their income if they're an in-person trainer has definitely gotten hit. But at least they know the value and the priority of training and having someone mm-hmm. else help them with that. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing, like this week was crazy, just rewriting programs, changing stuff. Mm-hmm. People would get equipment. People would change stuff. I had some clients who had breathing issues and panic attacks from all the stress and, you know, trying to do more work on nutrition, oh, change geez. up their goals. You know, competitions were canceled or postponed mm-hmm. at minimum. And yeah, so it was pretty crazy. So I was trying to just you know, stay as updated as I could, making sure that we can change stuff around the good part is almost all of them have some pretty good goals and stuff they can work on now for the next you know couple months and more related to nutrition doing some body weight stuff trying to get their joints feeling better things like that um so so far it's been okay um just opened up the flex diet again earlier to my list it'll go out public probably in the next couple days i debated about even doing it to be honest because you know trainers are caught with the where they actually have time to do continuing head now, which a lot of times in the past they're like, Oh, I don't have time to do like right. a 30 hour course, which I you know, totally understand, even though you could do a little bit week here and next week there. Yeah. But those things, you know, people now their income is taken in the shorts too. So what I said is I'll, you know, just send me an email, pretty much whatever payment plan you want. We'll, figure out a way and make it work. I didn't change the price. I mean, technically I was supposed to raise the price this round, but uh, didn't do that. And then I'm probably going to donate 10% just of the gross to a local charity to help uh, hospital care workers. So, yeah. So, I don't know, trying to figure stuff out. And then yeah. I had a online mentorship that literally started this past Monday that I've been planning for a year. I picked the date back in December and unfortunately, I had like three people that had to be refunded from that. But that was kind of a bugger. But I still got a couple other people that are in it who are pretty excited about it. And it's something I've already planned to do. I've got all the content already, you know, planned and written out. So I just decided just to keep going forward with it. And because, you know, all those people that are in it now have, have time to really work on stuff so that once we finally get through all this stuff, they'll be in a, a much better position then, too. So. Mm-hmm. I am struck by the similarities between what you guys do between coaching and teaching, right? And I mean, since, yeah. since Mike, you literally do both. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's teaching's like who knows at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, we we've extended from a what was originally like three weeks away to now the rest of the semester is at home, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm rewriting all my syllabi, so just like you, yep. like I'm literally turning it red, you know, as I change it, you know, week to week, you know, like the course schedule and all that. And I'm just thinking, God, this is what you, this is what Phil and Mike are doing. Right with the mm-hmm. training and stuff, like because what's a syllabus? Mm-hmm. It's a training program for your brain. <laughs> so, yeah, you, yeah. how are you going to do it at home? And you know, chasing late papers and using a Dropbox for assignments. And oh boy, mm-hmm. anyway, 
I mean, I'm lucky that the classes I teach, I'm only teaching one this quarter. Uh, the stuff for the Carrig is kind of on hold for now because some of that was in person. But uh, for Georgia Southern, I just teach online. I think I'm the only online instructor there, I think. Oh. Um, so mine didn't get changed other than when they shut down the university for two weeks. That threw a big monkey wrench into the, the syllabus and everything. But the good part is since I'm teaching online, all the rest of the stuff that you have to deal with, Lonnie, I don't have to deal with. I just had a throughout my entire syllabus and start over but mechanics wise the rest is all in place which is good yeah yeah um you know this is achievement i guess when you guys are talking about doing i don't want to just say charitable things but just trying to support uh, you know our communities and stuff um we had like 15 boxes of lab gloves i'm like well how about if we give those to the local hospital because here in ohio we're yeah. we're um we're low on a lot of the ppe stuff mm -hmm. Uh, oh yeah, you know. So I'm talking uh, with my buddy Ron and Mike. You know Ron. I feel you do too. Yeah. I think. Um, so he's like, "Well, let's let's keep one or two boxes. So you know, we if we if we're back to school, summer or fall, then you know, um, we can't have, have none <laughs> because we're not going to. What if we can't get more? And so yeah, but we had enough that I thought, why, why not? You know, local hospitals. Here's ten boxes of some you know nitrile gloves or whatever. Um, Little thing, I know, but hopefully we can do that. I, we're just going to make some cold sales calls to people and saying, hey, you want gloves? <laughs> we're a university yeah, lab. Yeah. It's not like we're some creepy, you know, <laughs> I don't, individual. Beat uh, you out the back with 100 bucks. Right. You can have these gloves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can have our lab gloves, but we want a favor in return, though. <laughs> yeah. If I oh, get the boy. COVID, I'm going up to the first floor. That's right. <laughs> you That's right. Front of the line. <laughs> right. <laughs> VIP lounge. If I get sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, that uh, is one of the benefits I have thought about about being in Minnesota. Is so far it hasn't been too bad yet here, and you know, 3M is one of the major manufacturers of PPE. Right. Um, they're spending weeks trying to ramp up production as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. uh, Medtronic is one of the you know, main manufacturers of ventilators. So there is a lot of technology companies that are here. There's no guarantee that that means it's going to be better here than other places, but maybe, you know, yeah. so we'll see. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's about all I've got really. Oh, I was going to say um, something about the nutrition changes. I went out and I purposely just to remind me, I got a second big jug of uh, whey, whey protein isolate just I think people yeah, oftentimes, <laughs> right? It's just sort of like a visual, like keep the protein intake high because a lot of people think, oh, I'm not training as much. I'll take less protein. But no, I think if you want to maintain your muscle mass, you really need to keep that up there. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's important. So um, I guess that'd be the one thing I'm doing. I, I mean, I, I do have a, a little bit of comfort that I tend to take a lot of anti-inflammatory stuff, high-dose fish oils and curcumin and stuff like that. So because I've heard that, Sometimes the, the acute, the most acute respiratory distress that people feel follows like a wave of cytokines and like this massive yeah. inflammatory rush. And, you know, if I mean, I'm not obese. And if I'm on, if I normally have my tissue saturated with anti-inflammatory nutrients, maybe I won't get it as severely. You know, uh, all that stuff we talked about how men get it more and it's more severe. And you got to think about it. like more than two thirds of the population is overweight or obese and I don't just mean from muscle mass. So obviously obesity and diabetes and a lot of the stuff, they have underlying inflammatory components uh, that just, you know, that's like tender, man, you know, for an incoming virus. And hopefully I don't have that. So I'm keeping up the anti-inflammatory stuff and keeping after the protein very consciously, actually, because my, my workouts are not heavy and, I'm, you know, I don't want to lose a lot of muscle mass. But uh, nutritionally, just quickly, Phil, what about you? Anything different or pretty much the same? Yeah, we're, you know, we're just being mindful of, did an inventory of everything we got and just being mindful of what we have and what we need. And mm -hmm. um, we've done interesting things like my wife was making hamburger the other day. I was like, well, let's make it into a meatloaf instead and extend that a little bit, you know? Right, yeah. Uh, things like that. Just, just being a little bit mindful. Um, mm -hmm. Not as much out to eat, but we are visiting our... We try to go like twice a week to, you know, places that we like and we frequent 
so they make sure they still have money. I mean, yeah, we want them to stay open, and they've done a pretty good job around here. Like we went to one of our favorite Mexican restaurants, and you pull up outside, and there's a big sign that says "Stay in your car, or call us, we'll bring it out." So yeah. you just call it in and sit in your car, wait while they make it. You know, bring it out to you. In so. that situation, that sounds good, like a controlled, uh, trusted place. I am a little concerned that this big, like, um, stimulus package and stuff that's rolling out of Congress. If I understand this right. Big corporations like McDonald's, they don't have to do the same kind of thing that a lot of like um, smaller companies might have to do. In other words, like if you don't have paid sick leave, I'm concerned mm-hmm. there could be you know a bunch of teenagers oh, yeah. still working the drive-through oh, at McDonald's. Yeah. They show up sick because they can't take off, and a drive-through. Now I'm not saying McDonald's specifically. I'm sure they have very stringent sanitation guidelines, et cetera. But I don't know those kids. And if they're sick yep. at all, they could be at work asymptomatic. And imagine yeah. what a drive-through would do at <laughs> some of these yeah. fast food restaurants. It's a conveyor belt for viral load. <laughs> uh, that yeah. that's paranoia. I'm not saying that's happening. Yep. I'm just saying I rather go somewhere like you feel like if I yep. go somewhere I trust and be like, listen, I know these guys. I literally know them. Yep. Um, they're yeah. very cautious, and try to pick and choose where I might even do my carryout. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. And other than that, you know, we're just getting stuff ready. We're getting this is the time of year we put gardens in and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, I mean, if things get real bad, you know, who knows? Knock on wood, it won't. But I mean, I've got like 70 chickens and 11 goats, man. We can last a while. (laughs) Dude, 11 goats? (laughs) Yeah, we got 11 goats. Oh, my God. Goat farm. I got enough enough meat for me to hang out for a while. So bring it on. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Self-sufficient. Mike, Mike, you said you got some extra protein. Anything else you're doing? Are you uh, stock? I I mean, stockpiling is not really necessary. There's no real shortages. But I mean, are you eating differently because you're training differently or or staying home more? Yeah, we're definitely at home more. So I've been definitely making it a point to do more walking, trying to get out, that type of thing. So we're officially on quarantine as of midnight last night, although I've been just doing it since we got home. I uh, went to the store when we got home, didn't buy anything crazy, you know, just enough stuff for, you know, a week or two. Yeah. Uh, did go to the liquor store and get dark beer, so I'm I'm good there for a Ooh, while, which there is you good. Go. That place was a gong show. Holy crap, that was insane. Um, other than that, we placed an order through Costco for delivery on Monday. It should be here hopefully by Sunday. So <laughs> a little bit of a, normally it's kind of crazy when you think about it. There's like a couple hour delay. So now it's about a six to seven day delay. So hopefully that shows up. But again, it was nothing, nothing crazy, a little bit more meat, but not that much more than normal. So we throw that in the freezer. Uh, We still have part of a half a grass fed cow. We've got some of that left in there. I've got a 16 pound bag of organic white rice. I think it's down to like 12 pounds now. So, I mean, if something goes really bad, I've got ordered some protein powder. So it should be good. Um, often during this time, since I'm still training the same, luckily our uh, garage was closed since when we were in Costa Rica, so no one was in or out of it. So I'm pretty blessed to have a full garage gym. I can still train in per normal. So that mm-hmm. doesn't really change all that much. Um, probably doing more aerobic based stuff and test out doing a half hour, 40 minutes a day of zone two stuff for quite a while. See how that goes. And then just opted to cut down a little bit in terms of body comp, which I was going to do anyway. So I figured now is probably a good time to do it since my environment's pretty controlled a lot more than usual. And then, like Phil said, trying to do the same thing. We usually go to Chipotle, the local one, for date night. So I've been trying to go there for date night. And then I did the walkthrough at the our, our favorite coffee shop the other day because I'm sure they're hit because nobody can hang out inside or anything. So I just yep. did that as part of my AM routine and walked over there and got some coffee and walked home. Cool. <laughs> yep. You know, you guys are talking about supporting, like, your uh, favorite local businesses. Um, I think I might just get a year membership at my gym just because, I mean, I don't think Uh, my gym owner, Pep, I don't think he struggles necessarily, but why not? Just go pick up a year. At least there's, you know, part of this month's rent for you, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. So uh, Yeah, I mean, I still have a a gym membership here, too, and I I just left it. You know, I'm not – you know, my – business is dependent upon other people keeping their training with me. I'm not going to be the dickhole that cancels just because I can't go to the gym now. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Because you know, it's is you're you're basically you're sort of voting with your wallet and supporting what you believe in and stuff. I mean, it's it's kind of a big deal if if you have the means. Like because I can work from home, there's not much difference as far as I'm yeah. I am. Now my wife is a although mental health, she is considered essential health worker, so she still goes and works in nursing mm. homes and stuff and that makes me concerned some. Um yeah. but um we don't have any loss of income right now, knock on wood. So I'm thinking, yeah, how do I um, – the more of us that try to keep the bottom up, you know, keep everything afloat, yeah. the better, I would think. So there's that. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a time like now, man. It's You need some empathy. Everyone is going through what you are. Oh, yeah. You know? so yeah I don't think anyone is exempt. Me. Exactly. So if we all help each other out a little bit and try to keep things as normal as possible and it's, uh, you know – so what we can do right i mean yeah. even this is free i mean the podcast is is you know yeah. uh, yes listener supported but it's free to anybody who who can't uh, step up and support and something to listen to you know as far as yeah. um fitness related material with with a little bit of evidence and whatnot so yep I have a couple of supplements i like from smaller companies so i went and you know ordered some extra from them because i'm like yeah It'll keep, and I'm sure their sales have taken a nosedive. And mm-hmm. products I'm going to use, it's going to keep for a while anyway. And you know, I figured I'll place an order now while I can, while the shipping's still around, and you yep. know, hopefully do a few things here and there. And everybody does just a a little bit and tries to stay as normal as they can within their means. I think that's going to make a massive difference to the oh, economy yeah. in the long. Yeah, and you know, yep. d- damn straight about the shipping. Thank God for sh- the shipping workers who are still doing their thing. Hopefully, they're oh, yeah. they're being sanitary as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I was reading some stuff about how you know the coronavirus can live for like uh, three days ish on plastic or steel surfaces, maybe only one day or so on something like cardboard. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, so long as they're they're following sanitary practices and whatnot, they're going to mm-hmm. really be keeping us all afloat. <laughs> anyway yep oh yeah yeah and also obviously healthcare workers too because i maybe my sister works in healthcare my mom did for years and i have a lot of other friends that do and my one of my other big worries is that they're just gonna start getting burnt out their immune system is gonna tank and we've already seen some infection rates in healthcare workers becoming super high because their exposure rates super high and now as their immune system starts going down and yeah if they start getting sick even at a rate of just 10 percent, which is pretty horrible it's huge it's not going to be good huge problem yeah Yeah. okay all right well there's some news and a little bit of comment commentary for everybody i guess yeah and i guess everybody hang in there hopefully i wasn't too negative the show (laughs) hang in there come on the come on the facebook page yeah try and talk to you there you go all right good for those people have more time now so it's like all that continuing ed and all the stuff that you're planning to do i mean heck go go get a cheap book or you know read something you don't have to spend a ton of money to to get better now either it's true yeah, uh, yeah self-improvement instead of just binge watching netflix for 10 hours a day yeah yep. turn the news off right. no i know that's exhaustive i get it yeah all right guys awesome right, thanks guys, guys. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. 
This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.